You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. There's a new loader identified in wiper campaigns. President Putin complains of sanctions and cyber attacks and vows to increase Russia's cybersecurity. Coordinated inauthenticity at scale, Killnet crows large over Italian operations. Conti's dissolution doesn't mean its operator's disappearance. Rick Howard looks at software-defined perimeters. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on how ransomware groups are upping their game to nation-state levels. And happy birthday, U.S. Cyber Command. But we're not necessarily wishing you a moonshot for your birthday present. From the CyberWire studios at DataTribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, May 23rd, 2022. The GRU's Sandworm Group has deployed a new version of its Argue Patch Loader, ESET reports. Argue Patch had seen previous use in both Indestroyer and Caddy Wiper attacks against Ukrainian targets. The new variant of Argue Patch, named so by the Computer Emergency Response Team of Ukraine, that's CERT UA, and detected by ESET products as Win32Agent.AEGY, now includes a feature to execute the next stage of an attack at a specified time. This bypasses the need for setting up a scheduled task in Windows and is likely intended to help the attackers stay under the radar. Reuters reports that last Friday, President Putin complained to his Security Council that cyber attacks against Russia had increased. Mr. Putin also reprehended the way in which sanctions had affected the country's IT capabilities. Reuters says... Restrictions on foreign IT, software, and products have become one of the tools of sanctions pressure on Russia. A number of Western suppliers have unilaterally stopped technical support of their equipment in Russia. President Putin says Russia needs to shore up its cyber defenses. He put a bold face on the situation, as Mashable quotes him. Already today we can say that cyber aggression against us, as well as in general the sanctions attack on Russia, have failed. Russian disinformation efforts against Ukraine have been both heavy and heavy-handed, in some cases using a playbook almost out of the 1930s. The New Yorker described them last week. Russian armored vehicles drove along Melitopol's central avenues with loudspeakers blaring. The military civilian administration of Melitopol, in order to prevent law-breaking and to ensure public order, temporarily prohibits rallies and demonstrations. In general, Ukrainian messaging has been more effective and internationally successful. 
Russian messaging has found principally a domestic audience as Moscow's international isolation grows with the duration, brutality, and incompetence of its war. Coordinated inauthentic behavior is a different matter. Many have seen the Fronton botnet as principally a tool for distributed denial-of-service attacks. While it certainly has that capability, it's more remarkable for its ability to create synthetic persona in social media and marshal them in campaigns that push specific lines of disinformation. The Russian FSB security service is believed to have purchased Fronton from a contractor, Zero Day Technologies. Researchers at Nysos have studied Fronton and found that its real novelty lies elsewhere in its ability to push disinformation. The Fronton toolkit enables not merely an array of coordinated posts, but also likes, reposts, and comments. And it provides feedback on the effectiveness of its operations in achieving reach, currency, and amplification, all of which can be used for the further tuning of disinformation campaigns. As the Hacker News points out, it's unclear whether Fronton has been used in active campaigns or whether it remains under development or in reserve, but the botnet's capabilities are interesting. The Wall Street Journal reports that even as Italian police sought to verify Killnet's claim of responsibility for attacks against various Italian websites, the Russian hacktivist group, or at least a nominal deniable hacktivist group, claimed in its Telegram channels to have killed Italy like a mosquito. And Anonymous has taken official notice, in its decentralized anarcho-syndicalist way, InfoSecurity Magazine, for what it's worth, reports anonymous claims that it's declared war on Killnet. Adv Intel on Friday described what they're observing with the Conti ransomware operation as the retirement of a brand, but not necessarily the dissolution of a gang, and almost certainly not the retirement of the gang's members. The admin panel of its shame blog, Conti News, has shut down, the blog itself persists as a shadow of its former self, but its posts are now merely poorly written anti-American screeds. There are no significant signs of Conti News's former role as a site that pressured victims to pay. Adv Intel sees the gangs dismantling itself into smaller affiliates as a business move. Conti's brand was under pressure from law enforcement, and its public adherence to the Russian cause in the war against Ukraine seems to have made it more difficult to receive ransom payments. Its high-profile attack against the Costa Rican government, then, seems to have been misdirection for spin-out and rebranding as opposed to a serious attempt to foment insurrection. Breaking into smaller groups has both business and security advantages, as the record observes, but ADV Intel sees the root cause of Conti's decision in the toxicity the brand has developed— they say this situation presents the first and foremost reason for Conti's timely end, toxic branding. Indeed, the first two months of 2022 left a major mark on the Conti name. While there is no tangible evidence to suggest that the well-known Conti leaks had any impact on the group's operations, the event which provoked the leak, Conti's claim to support the Russian government, seems to have been the fatal blow for the group, despite being revoked almost immediately. Conti alumni will no doubt, however, continue to enjoy the toleration and enablement that the Russian government has long extended to privateers operating from its territory. As long as they hit enemies of the regime and stay deniable, the gangs will be permitted to profit. Why did Conti choose Costa Rica for its last hurrah? 
The country was a target of opportunity, TechCrunch explains. Its online services were wreckable, and there was money to be made from wrecking them, and so Conti wrecked them. Cyber Command dates its founding to May 21, 2020, when two task forces merged under U.S. Strategic Command. Since then, it's grown into a full-spectrum combatant command, so happy 12th birthday to U.S. Cyber Command. A Newsweek op-ed last week called for a Manhattan Project for Cybersecurity. The gist of their argument is, much like the World War II-era Manhattan Project, which ensured the U.S. won the race to nuclear weapons, we should confront our current dangerous moment by launching a Cyber Manhattan Project to make revolutionary leaps ahead in cyberspace. Understanding that complete technical overmatch against our adversaries is the surest path to deterring bad actors. The metaphor has been used before, along with the similar moonshot or Project Apollo metaphors. The op-ed, while it offers a thoughtful account of cyber threats that pose considerable risk to national well-being, has come under criticism from, among others, the Washington Post's Cyber 202, which finds the central metaphor wayward and unhelpful. The Post doesn't put it quite this way, emphasizing instead that spending on cybersecurity probably already outstrips General Groves' budget and that ordinary human error plays a prominent, perhaps dominant, role in cyber risk. But consider, both the Manhattan Project, which developed the first nuclear weapon during World War II, and the Apollo program, which put a human being on the moon in the 1960s, were directed at the solution of large, difficult, complex, but fundamentally unified problems. One knew with no ambiguity whether Fat Man worked when it was detonated. One knew beyond any reasonable doubt that Apollo 11 had reached the moon and that Armstrong and Aldrin had walked there. Cybersecurity is also a complex problem, but it, like, say, the problems of crime or war or perhaps cancer, are not fundamentally unified in this way. The Greek poet Archilochus is said to have written, A fox knows many things, but a hedgehog knows one big thing. Moonshots and Manhattan projects are hedgehogs' problems. Cybersecurity is for foxes. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
the IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Security Officer and also our Chief Analyst. Rick, it's always great to have you back. Hey, Dave. You know, there's a trend that I have been tracking in the news these past couple of years, and this is where both marketing people and tech leaders alike have started to add this one little tech phrase to everything. And it's (laughs) software-defined. Yeah. Software-defined. So we've got software-defined networking, software-defined storage, software-defined data centers. Uh, And it kind of takes me back to the old days when um, Apple started putting the letter I in front of everything. (laughs) I do remember. iPod, (laughs) iMac, iPad, and then other Silicon Valley companies started doing the same thing. I mean, in fact, you actually worked for one of those companies. Yeah, I did. iDefense right back in the day, right? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, I say all of that to bring us to this, which is that um, you are talking about one of these specifically on this week's CSO Perspectives podcast, which of course is over on the pro side of the CyberWire. And this is software-defined perimeter. Yep. Now, what does that mean, all of these software-defined things? Do they, do they all work the same? Well, you know, in general, yes, okay, because as the cloud has become the place where we all do the bulk of our work these days, you know, as opposed to the way we used to do it, say, before 2010, when we all had big iron tucked away in data centers that we had to manage ourselves with network managers (laughs) and IT managers running around, you know, they had to manually configure everything. So, like animals. Like like the beast that they are. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I used to be one, so I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> so, but we, when we hear the phrase software defined, that generally is marketing speak for services running out of the cloud somewhere and being controlled by software. But it does cause some confusion, especially for what we're talking about this week. Software defined perimeter, because this architecture is not about perimeter defense at all in the classic sense. In fact, hmm. I would say that the architecture completely demolishes the perimeter defense model altogether. And it's probably the most innovative and important zero trust and identity management tactic that most of us have never heard of, right? So hmm. for this CSO Perspectives episode, we're going to break out the Rick the Toolman toolbox, explain how everything works, and discuss why it's superior anything we have seen so far since the early 1990s. All right. I look forward to that. Um, Before I let you go, what is the word of the week on your Word Notes podcast? Yeah, for this week, we're talking about identity orchestration, which is kind of a subset of the notion of security orchestration, which is all those things we have to do to manage and maintain all that stuff we have in the security stack. And I know that's a mouthful, but... It turns, you know, that's just the way it is with the cybersecurity dudes around yeah, here. Right? Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it turns out, though, if you're serious about deploying a zero trust strategy, then identity and access management is the key and essential piece to get it right. So in this episode, we discuss the current state of managing all of that identity and access infrastructure in the most efficient way. 
All right. Well, Rick Howard, he is the chief security officer and chief analyst here at the CyberWire. But more importantly, he is the host of CSO Perspectives, part of CyberWire Pro. You can learn all about that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf. Dinah, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, you know, we've been tracking ransomware groups, of course, and one of the things that strikes me about them is the the ever-increasing amount of sophistication with which they operate. I mean, it seems to me like, you know, they are really many, some of them, it's fair to say that they're on par with some of the nation state actors out there. What's your take on this? Yeah, for sure. Um this year, I really got into learning more about zero-day uh, vulnerabilities. I read the book, This This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends, a Cyber Weapons Arm Race by Nicole Peroth. And it's so mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really good, really, really good. And, you know, when she wrote that book, a lot of, you know, talking about zero days and who would buy them, it was all nation states, right? And, and just to take a step back, you know, a zero day vulnerability is a software vulnerability discovered by attackers before the vendor has any idea. Okay. So it's very um, popular for a nation state to use this to spy. So they want... They won't want to assume, you know, people are all, countries are all using very common software, you know, Microsoft or iPhones, Google Cloud, whatever. Um, and if they can find a vulnerability in one of those things and spy with it, then then that's really good for them, right? Right. But we've seen this huge uptick on, on ransomware, right? And these, uh, these ransomware gangs are starting to make some serious amount of money. And they want more and more ways so that they can deploy their ransomware into different systems. And what we're finding is that they are now becoming as big of a buyer of these zero-day vulnerabilities as nation states. Previously, they would never have been able to afford them, right? Um, I found Mm. some interesting information there that um, a company called Zerodium who's a zero-day vendor, they actually sell zero-day bugs or vulnerabilities. Mm. They have a standing offer to pay $2.5 million for any zero-day that gives hackers control of an Android device. So, like, that's just, you know, that's for one hack if you have that. And then here's the thing. 
they have to make a profit on that. So they're going to buy that from some hacker and then sell that at a higher price, right? So it gives you an idea of how much a lot of these uh, zero days can cost. So, mm-hmm. it, and then it always is going to come back to ROI, right? What's your return on investment? And like, sadly, it seems like the ransomware gangs are getting pretty high ROIs here if they're spending that much money on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not the the kids in the basement anymore just banging away on on their keyboards. I mean, these are sophisticated groups with sophisticated tools. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, And so, you know, you want to look to prevent yourself from being attacked from these. It's going to be, you know, the same thing over and over. Patch, 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 patch. And multi-factor authentication and train your people. Um, It's the same mantra always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Rachel Gelfin, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karpf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all back here tomorrow.